It's May 2022. Casey and Vicki White are on the run. And the U.S. Marshals are closing in. Join me and the Fugitive Hunters for part two of this nationwide manhunt. Thanks for joining us for part two of the manhunt for Casey White and Vicki White. I'm joined by the people at the forefront of the search, Ross, who is the deputy commander of the Gulf Coast Regional Fugitive Task Force, Scotty, the lead investigator and a senior inspector, Doc, who is the chief of the behavioral analysis unit in Washington, and John, a deputy who works in a specialized area of the Marshal Service. Okay, it is the morning of day six of the 11-day manhunt. It's Wednesday, May 4th. How do you spend the day? Doc arrives on scene, so a little ray of light force there, too. Doc, welcome to Alabama. <laughs> welcome to Alabama. Was this your first yep. trip to Alabama? It was. So you arrive in Alabama, and your role will be what down here? Because of the, the nature of the investigation and things rapidly um, evolving the way they were, it made sense for us to deploy and be on site. And initially, the request was for us to assist with interview recommendations, interview strategies um, with the inmates, and then also with family and friends of Casey and family friends of, of Vicky's. And then with the mental health nexus with, with Casey, it made sense for us to um, assist and look into that further. Mm-hmm. So continuing on day six, some of the things we were doing from the investigation, of course, we had the, the tips coming in. We had to, to vet all those tips and rule them in or out. Something else we were working off of was the bad girl phone records. There were a couple of people that called, actually one person uh, in particular that interested us. They had a criminal record. We didn't know why Vicky would be speaking with this person. And just to interrupt, as we had established before, this is the second phone that the marshals had found. The storage unit. At the storage unit. Yeah, this is the bad girl phone for uh-huh. Vicky. There was nothing there. But the other things that interested us off the phone were... The contacts she had with real estate people that own properties for rent. Oh. So we had to track all those down. Luckily for us, uh, well, I don't know if it'd be lucky or unlucky, but all the people she had contact didn't have any properties available. So we ruled that out. There was nothing else really we could check into with the mm-hmm. bad girl phone so was there anything about the property she would was looking at that stood out just low rent out okay. of the way she was looking for a place out in the country those type of things uh-huh. it's a day of gathering information following leads and listening to more tips day six comes to a conclusion big day day seven thursday may 5th lots happening yep quite a bit so now that picture that we were trying to paint we're starting to put together so we talked about how vicky was extremely meticulous um and we talked about that check registry right left on the dresser that was one of the key components of running down a lot of stuff in this case one of the first uh bulk pieces of information we got back was from a large retailer and we could see vicky's purchases going back to about january um when she started all of this I would say kind of maybe in my mind from what I'm seeing crafting the the mode of escape so this is four months prior so four months prior uh she had gone to a large retailer and you could see the items she purchased were everyday items groceries you know cosmetics and then sprinkled in there was waterproof matches and then the next time she would go would be Cheez-Its and toilet paper and Coleman camping stove and the next time she would go she would purchase uh, regular items and 550 cord and duct tape. Mm-hmm. So each individual transaction, nothing would stand out. However, piecing all those together, you could kind of see we were thinking potentially this is a wooded manhunt that we're looking for them, maybe in a campground, uh-huh. um, maybe at a, a remote location, or maybe just in the woods in general uh, where they would be hiding. So we also got some stuff back from other sporting goods stores. We got some sleeping bag information uh, that they got a sleeping bag, duffel bag. And then there was a couple uh, department stores where she had purchased uh, women's clothing, but also men's clothing. 
So she didn't have a boyfriend at the time. So she was purchasing items for men. So were you able to tell what size? That's what we were trying to. We we're attempting at that point mm-hmm. um, to see if we could get that detailed in with those places. Mm-hmm. Um, but but as a whole, we we're just collecting all that information together right. to kind of look at. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, at at this point, I was talking to Scotty and uh, like based upon all this I, we were pointing in the direction of that this could be a, a wooded manhunt we already had some areas of interest in the woods that different areas near his house there, there were some other places we had spotted so we wanted to get teams out in those woods to check those places and these were way off the beaten path we tried to check them the best we could use another means looking for this orange car we're still looking for it at this moment right so we actually deployed teams into the woods to check all these areas out uh, we were not successful, obviously. We didn't get anywhere with it, but these guys were literally, we were humping through the woods for uh, five hours or so uh, out in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it was a testament to how hard these guys, how hard they worked. And, and actually, some of them had left their camo at home, and we are in a hotel, so they had to go purchase some camo. They actually uh, made the purchase of their own money and went out there and, and did a outstanding job unfortunately didn't lead us there right yeah pretty pretty anxious moment as a supervisor you're thinking high-powered rifles shotguns handguns body armor um you know these some of these areas were areas we knew at least casey to frequent so likelihood of him being more familiar than us is high high probability so you're kind of sitting there thinking am i about to get a phone call uh that we've got a shootout in the woods right Mm -hmm. now um Mm -hmm. i forgot to mention one of the other purchases we tracked down was back in February, Vicky went to what was described to us as a private adult novelty and toy demonstration gathering. Mm. Yeah. So <laughs> the thing that shocked everybody, uh, these are uh, friend, pe- folks that she worked with or whatnot. And the thing that stood out to them, they were all amazed. She made purchases for items that would be consistent with having a boyfriend um, those items, none of them knew of her talking of a boyfriend. None of them were aware of that. So it was all a complete shock to all right. of those folks. One one can imagine what the items might be. Uh, they can imagine all they want. I don't want to go be into Be more it. specific? No, I'm good. Thank you. <laughs> Doc, did you get involved in this day? Yes. So this was the day that we interviewed several of Casey's family members, Scotty and I. Part of the interviews was um, at least one of the things that I was focused on was getting gathering more information about Casey's mental health history um, and seeing how that matched up with what was in his medical records. Um, and so throughout the course of those interviews, I was able to get some pretty um, good information um, that I think helped help me determine the legitimacy of some of his diagnoses and without meeting with him, you know, and, and interviewing him directly, there's, there's, I'm not able to, you know, diagnose him, but I, throughout the course of the interviews, I was looking for some of the same things that I did with the records, um, like, a you know, secondary gain or ulterior motives for why somebody might have, you know, alleged to have certain mental illness. So I was looking for evidence of that. And then, you know, there's a number of things that, that came up that were, inconsistent with with some of what was in the the medical records mm-hmm. um but i think at this point in the investigation because of everything that we had found out with you know the number of firearms that they had planned to have on them and the whole suicide by cop and that case he intended to shoot it out i think his level of risk to officers and to the community was already pretty well established so whether or not you know, there was a concern or fear that he would be uh, in a manic episode or bipolar. Um, no matter what, he was going to pose a, a risk and would be treated, you know, a- accordingly. I think that the other thing that came out that there was some question um, in my mind, and I think everybody's mind, whether or not Vicky would still be alive at this point, because initially it seemed as if he got everything he needed from her which would be you know the the money and obviously the escape um from prison and and then access to all of her resources so uh some of us thought you know what what need would there be for her to to still be alive and i think after an interview with um with his mom i i concluded that she would she would absolutely still be alive because of the way 
his mom described the nature of their relationship seemed like you know he referred to her as mama he had a he had a close you know borderline probably codependent relationship with his mom and relied on her a lot when he was out and also when he was in prison and seemed to have a similar relationship dynamic with vicky at least depend you know like based on the way that uh his mom described it and so i think scotty and i walked away from that interview concluding like vicky's still alive she's still she still serves a purpose it you know to to casey as far as him being dependent on her and relying on her um and her being you know the responsible one who's plans and organized and um that he would have a a a need for her to still be alive Mm -hmm. so doc what was the significance of finding that he was probably not bipolar as previously thought Again, back to the the idea of he was in a manic episode at the time of arrest, the level of risk that poses to officer safety. Um, if he's in a if he's reckless and his judgment and decision making is compromised um, and he's not thinking clearly, um, that's all going to affect you know the the cops' ability to negotiate with him. And if you know it did become something like a standoff where we're trying to do, negotiation possible hostage negotiation talking him out of suicide by cop you're going to be a lot less effective if he's in a full-blown manic episode so there's a possibility that he might actually be in the end of times a little bit more reasonable than previously thought it's possible there's also the issue of substance abuse right so there are you know there are if he were to be using substances which he had a history of that could also pose you know a similar similar threat so that was i guess a a wild card Mm -hmm. and scotty what about as an investigator did you look at that uncovered fact significantly yes it it was very significant so we all kind of had this notion if if he's truly got these these issues that we were talking about we all really expected this case to be over really quickly if he's not taking his medication it's going to blow up somewhere we don't know where we're trying to get the information out so from our perspective you know we always battle do we release this information about this vehicle Mm -hmm. if we release it and he knows about it he's going to do it but if he's truly got these mental health issues we're going to release it regardless for public safety and those type of things right so this gave us a little leeway on the investigative side and it also told us that you know we're investigating everything vicky done but we now we know casey's probably you know we heard the the notion he's street smart he's not going to come back to the area he's from he's going to be out we need to really look into his associates as well we're concentrating really hard on vicky because casey you know has got these issues he can't think for himself so it does take you in that direction as well He's, we know he's complicit, right? We know he's very manipulative. We know all these things. But without the mental health, we kind of discarded him and focused right. on Vicky. Does right. that make sense? Yeah. So that's what it does for us as investigators, you know. And it, it later turned out to be true. Vicky plans, Casey calls the shots when they're out. Mm-hmm. So that's the way it worked. Mm-hmm. And that's the mm-hmm. way it ended up. If Casey's really got these mental health issues, he's not calling anything when he's out. Right. She's it's going to blow up somewhere. If he does, they're going to have some kind of disagreement and it's going to blow up wherever it's at. Mm -hmm. These interviews also confirmed the relationship starting back. Remember we talked about 2020 in November when he gets sent back after he plans on taking Vicky hostage, Mm -hmm. you know, none of that was ever really looked at. Nobody ever thought Vicky white would be involved in that. And she may not have been involved in that, Mm -hmm. but we do know there was a relationship. So, and according to the family, this is when they start seeing her. He's, he, you know, he's talking about her being the mama. And then we hear the, the alias of Madison White. She's coming over weekly on a weekly basis uh, to the mom and dropping off money, cash. Uh, Vicky White is. She's going by this alias. They don't know her true name. They know she's older than him. You know, all these things are starting to add up. She's bringing between $200 and $500 cash a week and dropping it on the doorstep at Connie's. She, they would didn't take that money. And and, Con- and Connie is Casey's mom. Correct. Mm-hmm. Casey's mom. We start painting the picture a little bit more. He's right. he's more, he's smarter than we're giving him credit for, so right. to speak. So 
this money, obviously, you know, he's telling the family it's for using cell phones, that kind of stuff. We know, having worked with Department of Corrections in our experience, two hundred to five hundred dollars a week is not a cell phone. That's obviously a drug debt. So that's uh, how he's getting his money to move. Vicky, you know, from our understanding, she would not put up with the drug usage. That's what we learned through different interviews with inmates and those type of things. So, you know, unfortunately, Vicky's not here to talk to us because we'd like to ask her, hey, what did you think this money was for? Cell phones in prison are high, but they're not that high. You're not going to 200 to $500 a week and more likely on the high ends, the way it was described to us. You know, they were moving money for him into the, the prison system. In their minds, they're helping him for the cell phone bill so they can communicate with him, right? And right. All this actuality. is his family moving right. money into the prison system right. for him, right? And, and it was obviously a drug debt, so right. which indicates his issues he's probably had at Donaldson, right? Uh-huh. Everything in mom's view is always the other person's fault. It's never Casey's. Right. So she's an enabler. Uh, you know, she's always going to side with Casey, regardless sure. of what he's done. Everything mm-hmm. was everybody else's fault. It was mm-hmm. never, never Casey's. So mm-hmm. continuing on day seven, um, uh, our investigators conducted an interview um, where we learned some, some pretty significant information. And, and we've talked uh, a few times during this podcast on how he would conceal a six, nine individual from moving freely about without being readily recognized. So part of this interview revealed that, not only were we aware of his height, obviously, but so were Casey and Vicky, and that a way that they would possibly use to conceal his movement would be to put him in a wheelchair, mm-hmm. and so um, where Vicky would assist in pushing him, or he would wheel himself around. But um, so they had actually, you know, obviously put some thought into how they were going to um, move him about in public, should they have to move in public. So um, that was pretty telling to us, and it just kind of lends to the, um, the the depth of planning that they put into this. Right. Calling all lovers of mystery. Prepare to don your detective hat in June's Journey, a free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. Take a trip in time to the glitzy 20s and play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. The thrill is endless with new chapters added weekly allowing you to not only enjoy the detective adventure, but also to personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Um, Also during this interview, we learned that the mode in which the escape took place was probably not the first plan that was utilized. We were told that Casey was going to take Vicky hostage, that this was one of the earlier escape plans to get right. out of the jail, that, that Casey was going to take Vicky hostage and then work his way out of the jail with her at gunpoint. Um, you know, and I don't know at what point, I don't think we ever established at what point this was supposed to take place, but we know that Vicky did enter the jail with a firearm on um, outside of, you know, every other law enforcement agency's policy, including Lauderdale County. So, you know, this could have been, this could have been a backup plan. Right. To that the, makes to a lot, the, to, yeah, yeah, make, to makes a lot more sense. It was actually right. executed. So, right. you know, not to speculate, but you know, if something were to go wrong with that, you know, was, was, was Casey going to take Vicky hostage with, right. with her gun, with her own gun? Right. The big breakthrough. Big breakthrough. The big breakthrough. That evening, we're all sitting in Marriott trying to enjoy our meal and everything, and we receive a call from Williamson County Sheriff's Office in Tennessee. They believe they have our vehicle. We're on the phone with them, and we verify, and that is the van. At that moment, myself and Ross, we deploy to Williamson County Sheriff's Office. The long-awaited Ford Edge has finally been located. Yes. Mm -hmm. So... You, you should mention this is what eleven thirty at night after working yeah. 14, 16 yeah. hours. Well, that I was going to say so. So that's not important. So not unlike the Friday that was interrupted <laughs> to start this case off, we finally get a chance to sit down and eat, and the you phone can't rings. have nothing. You can't have. We anything. couldn't eat. You can't <laughs> you have had nothing. to go. <laughs> so um, go throw a fresh pair of clothes on and head up to Williamson County, Tennessee, to to get find we can get out of this vehicle that's going to further our investigation. Right. Yeah, so so we arrived we arrived to where the vehicle was located um shortly after midnight. Um look at the vehicle which takes us to day 8. To, to day 8, exactly. Yeah, to okay. day 8. So we're 
we're shortly after midnight, day eight. Um, we finally lay eyes on this vehicle in person, um, and we start to uh, gather a plan on how we want to look in this vehicle, um, what we're looking for. We start taking inventory of the outside of the vehicle, what it looks like. Um, we start working with our marshal service counterparts, local counterparts, on uh, gathering a search warrant for the vehicle, um, knowing that it's going to be used as evidentiary purposes for future court proceedings. The thing that we first noticed on the vehicle we found very strange and odd. In that area where the damage was on the vehicle, we discovered green paint was painted over it. Mm -hmm. And then on the right rear quarter panel, there was some green paint there. We kind of looked in the window to see what we could see, and we noticed the Dollar General uh, bag, and we noticed... Uh, the green paint. Uh, so then we talked about it and said, hey, they gave us the report of where it was recovered. Shocker to us, it was recovered before we even knew they had escaped. So we went to that location. So this call came in in this area on around 150 on the day that Vicky and Casey took off. The car was abandoned on a dead-end road However, it was at the intersection, not on the end where the dead end was. It was mm -hmm. just parked right there at the stop sign, just left there. Nothing else around it. So myself and Ross and uh, one of our counterparts from Middle Tennessee, we traveled out there that evening to kind of look around to see what we could, get a game plan, how we were going to attack the next day. Uh, we got something to work with now. We know we got to start canvassing the, the area. We've got to start looking in that so we make our plan that evening. And we, we looked around the woods just on the off chance. There was – they'd thrown some stuff out and that kind of stuff. So we did check the area for that because we – our heads are racing. We're trying to figure this out. We're not sure what's going on. Mm -hmm. Was it, you know, Vicky's this meticulous planner. She had somebody meet them. You know, all those kind of things, um, you know, it was really odd. We all knew it was odd, but we didn't have the clear picture yet. Some of those thoughts that were going through my mind, you know, we had already known the items that, that she had purchased over the last four months. Right. Um, that indicated that they may be in a, in a you know, staying in a wooded environment. So right. this was a very rural area. Um, there were barns uh, everywhere. You know, could they be in a barn? Mm -hmm. um, could they have set up a campsite, you know, within the woods? We're looking at, you know, are there any state parks around? So all of these things that, that were viable options for them right. to say, we, we could be standing right in the middle of it. Um, right. You know, unfortunately, by this point, it's probably one thirty, two o'clock in the morning. No visibility. Pouring is still, rain. Yes, no visibility. is still raining. Um, so, you know, that's where, where that, that that plan came in and, and you get as many resources as we had available to us in that area. So not only was it to go maybe do some woodland observations, uh, but but canvassing the, the residential areas, looking through the barns, mm -hmm. interviewing. Who did, what did you see? When did you see it? Right. Um, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, um that was one of those things that, that we were acutely aware of and, and knowing at this point in time that we had, we had started making strides again in the right direction in this investigation. So this whole time that these guys are up in the field, I'm back at uh, HQ just chomping at the bit to find out what's inside the vehicle. Right. And right? so we're waiting on that search warrant to go through. But there's a process. You know, it, it takes some time. <clears throat> so you can peek inside and see what you can see. But all those questions we're trying to answer, you know, that that's that's going over several hours so finally the search warrant goes through uh they inventory some of the items and i don't know if it was scotty or somebody there sent me a photo of the floorboard and in the floorboard there was several cans of that green spray paint which we assume is it's the same color as uh -huh. what's on the outside of the vehicle a red bull can a lighter uh and then a couple rolls of duct tape with a yellow bag uh that appears to be a dollar general bag so we, at this point we're looking at dollar general you know Previously in the case, we talked about uh, Vicky going to purchase items at Dollar General. You know, she seems comfortable kind of sticking with what she knows and what mm -hmm, she likes. Mm -hmm. And kind of kind of, uh, we had assumed this might have been a Vicky thing. So I, I reached out to uh, Dollar General, which fantastic investigators, because now we're going into Friday night. I can't I mean, I can can't thank them enough. Uh, they answered their phone on Friday night. We took all the information that we had in the case based upon timelines that we had looked at of when they left, when that vehicle was located, like Scotty said, based upon that report. And then those items in the vehicle I actually drove to uh, Dollar General down the road to take some pictures of UPC numbers just to verify the specific items we were looking at. Mm -hmm. 
So we took all that information, found all the Dollar Generals along that route, and Dollar General investigators, again, phenomenal people, can't thank them enough. They, they spent their Friday night uh, analyzing, trying to run any which way they could on those specific items, because mm-hmm. uh, we knew those likely purchased with cash. Um, so we're, we're not only wanting to find where they were at, where they purchased it, but if they bought any other items that we could look at in the case right, that right. could assist us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so finally, late that Friday night, uh, I get a phone call back um, from one of the investigators. Um, she said, hey, we got him. I got, a, I got a video of him in a location. I said, it's him? Uh, my exact words. And, and I, I would assume at this point, Vicky's the one planning all this stuff. Right. I said, it's him inside the store? He's, he's that tall? Uh, she said, yeah, uh, I'll work on getting you the, the details. So uh, Dollar General sent us the receipt and the video footage. It was Casey inside the the Dollar General location. It was along that route from leaving uh, Lauderdale County, going up into where the vehicle was recovered, mm-hmm. and he was wearing a camouflage, uh, <clears throat> what appeared to be like a mossy oak camouflage shirt. Mm-hmm. So after we had received that information, I called Scotty, and he said the same thing to me. He said, it's him? I said, yeah, it's him inside the store. Because at this point, Vicky's calling the shots, doing all the planning. And when was the surveillance fo- footage taken it was taken the day of the escape but like, roughly two and a half hours a couple hours later but at this point in the investigation this is the only sighting that we can nail down after the physical escape of swapping out the cars and uh-huh. all that stuff so this is the first now granted it's only a couple hours later but we're starting to piece some stuff together here right um when i called scotty we i sent him the the still shot of uh of casey inside the store Immediately, him and I kind of had a, a conversation. I don't know if it was that night because it was late on a Friday or if it was into the next morning, but the conversation kind of uh, was our investigative analysis, I'll say, of what we had thought happened based upon what we were seeing. Obviously, without a certainty, but you know, I can, we can say what we thought. He's wearing a camouflage shirt. They've got an orange car. It's only a couple hours outside of leaving uh, for the escape. Mm-hmm. And what we had thought happened was Vicky picked him up. She, you know, we had heard from previous interviews that they wanted to try and get an SUV, uh, that for some reason Casey wanted an SUV. So what we assumed potentially could have happened was they got that, she got that vehicle, didn't realize anything about Hunter orange color. He's wearing a camouflage shirt. They're going on that drive up. And, and he said, hey, look, I'm wearing camouflage. We got all this, this wooded equipment. And we've got a hunter orange vehicle that we're going to attempt to hide. So we think Casey went in to go purchase all of that spray paint to attempt to cover it up because it was a green, a dark green spray paint that was Uh kind of a camouflage mossy color. Uh Um, And then looking at the vehicle from what he attempted to do to the vehicle, it was a shoddy job. He didn't think it would probably work. And that's potentially why they abandoned the vehicle. Uh So it shifts the investigation now well meticulous plan going up to the escape and now there's the first wild card potentially thrown in of we've got this vehicle that's hunter orange and we're trying to hide in the woods and i've got a camouflage shirt on what are we going to do yeah we also thought now like uh, all of this planning right all of this plan meticulous planning and they're two and a half hours three hours or so into their was less than that it was uh that to get from where they got uh this is before they get to columbia remember around 11 o'clock there in columbia this is before that. So mm-hmm. they leave the jail 930-ish. This is 45, 50 minutes maybe into it, and they're, they're already stopping, and he's trying to fix a problem. So now they've deviated from the plan, yep. you know, an hour-ish or whatever into the escape. So this so. is the moment uh, to me. So, you know, just got to give my family cred a little bit, but I go home this evening. This is the night I actually went home. Uh-huh. I wasn't able to process everything we had done that day. Um, I'm sitting there on my couch and my son had been wanting to watch the last episode of Moon Knight. It's a Marvel show. Mm-hmm. The season finale had happened. So I sat down and trying to watch it and I'm focused and John, you know, sending me that. And when I saw it, I, I figured it out. I knew at that moment we were going to get them. Their time was coming to an end. So um, went back, called Ross, called Doc. They're still at the CP. I said, I know how we're going to get them. And that was the moment I said, this is not planned out. They're like every other escape. They're making it up as they go. Um, He saw that orange car. He tried to fix it. He knew that what he did made that car look 10 times worse. So he got a new vehicle, and it was going to be purchased within five miles of where that car was dumped. I said, we got to go out and find that car. But I do want to go back 
and talk right. about some other things that happened on that day, um, just so everybody can have a clear understanding of how this all went. Right. So on that morning, we leave the hotel, and we're all excited to get up there and see what we can start canvassing this neighborhood. We At this moment, we don't know what's going on. We still haven't figured it out. So we're researching, you know, Aryan Brotherhood in the area, you know, associates that he may be connected with. We're doing all those type of things. Well, as we're driving up, uh, Doc was with me. We were still strategizing who we were going to interview next. So she jumped in the vehicle and rode up with us. And we're talking about these things. And as we're going up, I noticed there's a vehicle following us. Um, it's telling us pretty good. Go around. It was you know, another thing we had to deal with was the media. They were following us from the hotel. Oh, right. So we dealt with that. We shook him. Uh, I think we did a fine job of shaking him. However, when we get up there and we get in Tennessee and we're meeting our counterparts up there, media is already there. Um, we didn't release it anywhere. I know we, we, we were unsure how this information got leaked out. Right. But it's already out, the vehicles there. So I mean, this, this is this is the top story in the nation. Oh, yeah. And we're and, we're and like, other countries as well. So it's changing my mindset of how we're going to do things in the future, mm-hmm, uh, you mm-hmm. know, related to this case and how we're going to operate. But we go ahead and we execute what we do. We go down that dead end road. We're interviewing everybody. We're checking fields, checking empty houses. We were out there all day long. All right. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Of significance on that day, something that really stood out, there was one neighbor we interviewed that stated on this, remember, this is the Friday before, and we're there on the Friday afterwards. Right, so it's okay. been a week has passed. Right. So we're asking her about the orange vehicle, and these neighbors had spotted the car and said, yeah, it was there with a truck. So this is the moment we start first hear about the truck. So we're trying to keep that tight-lipped, and we're asking them to do the same. It was described... The best description of it is it had a loud exhaust on it. So we know they're most likely in some type of truck. Not sure on the model, not sure on the year. We know mm-hmm. it's smoked out windows, or sorry, tinted windows. Um, we know all those things, so we know we got to find that truck. We continue to canvass in all day, and, you know, it, it's hard to investigate when you're um, actually in the middle of a case this big and you're getting all this media out there. Because everybody was contacting us. Somebody had spotted possibly Vicky crawling through a window at a house. Oh, yeah, and welfare checks. Welfare checks. Haven't heard from Grandma in three days. Go check on them. So, yeah, we're going to check. That's what we're doing. And we have no communication back at headquarters because our phones, we're out in the middle of nowhere. So it was kind of a great day because our phones weren't ringing off the hook. (laughs) So it, it enabled, it was a good day, but we weren't really able to focus on a lot other than the search warrant of the vehicle, canvassing and answering calls. Williamson County did a phenomenal job helping us out with that. And that's the same thing with our headquarters element. I mean, they took that data. I mean, the things, every vehicle that was stolen in the greater Nashville area that day, they tried to run all of those uh, investigations down to see if anything fit um, our case of them picking up another vehicle of that nature. So there's all these different moving parts going on at the same time oh we were looking and, and doc had her unit helping us build out you know a dashboard for missing persons you know missing persons reports in the area um because there was a there was a train of thought also that you know perhaps they had you know kidnapped somebody or stolen a vehicle or, or right. Scotty says stolen a vehicle right. or or you know somebody's missing that sh- should be accounted for so we're trying to play out all these possibilities and to make sure that we don't again not miss anything and, and make sure we're doing our due diligence and understanding what mode of transportation they could be in now lots has been learned on day eight that brings us to day nine may 7th and that's a saturday okay so on day nine uh we're continuing to develop information attempting to locate this new truck we're out uh following up on leads and tips still because they're continuing to 
come in. Mm-hmm. We're concentrating on these tips related to trucks now. We're, we're over the orange edge. It's out of play. So we were looking for innovative ways, I think, to leverage different data databases and data sets to see if we could figure out anything more about the about the truck. So if you run through the list of possibilities, right, of how somebody acquires a vehicle, there's, you know, through legitimate means, uh, purchased through a, a dealership, but with Casey and Vicky, we also explored illegitimate means. They may have had their vehicle carjacked and were either kidnapped, being held hostage, or having uh, possibly been killed by them, or reports of stolen vehicles. So our our data science team at headquarters was able to put together a dashboard for us looking at vehicles stolen in that area, as well as any missing persons reported in that state and all neighboring states. To kind of piggyback off of what Doc just said, we also had a, an element in our headquarters that that were plotting tips and using their location. Um, and so they were overlaying those on maps so we could see tip clusters. And so mm-hmm. we were taking, if we had clusters of tips in a certain area um, that were kind of saying the same thing, that would be significant to us. But we're right. also overlaying those with this, you know, and kind of comparing that to the dashboard that was being created based on this information too, mm-hmm. to try to kind of match all those data points up together to see if we could build any patterns there right. that would be that would be useful to, uh, to mm-hmm. us mm-hmm. as well. well that's so, a, that's so, so again, not necessarily maybe an everyday technique that we would use, but on this case, it was it was it was used and and right. you know would have been helpful. All right, this brings us to day ten of an 11-day manhunt, May 8th, 2022. It's a Sunday, and you guys are getting close. Yes, sir. So we all head back up towards uh, Tennessee to that area where the vehicle was recovered. We specifically requested one of the Williamson County Sheriff's Office guys who had patrolled that area and was familiar with that area because, of course, us being from Alabama, we were not. We all met down there. And we came up with a game plan. And, you know, the day before, we're out there in vests, gear, rifles, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. This is going to be a true canvas where we just dress down. And and the key of bringing in that guy from Williamson County, because we all went that way a certain route. He said, if I was them, I would not have came that route. I would Uh have came this direction. Uh So that refocused our canvas a completely opposite direction. Uh So we start going literally door to door, checking every, everybody, A, do they have a camera or something pointing at the road? If they saw anything that Friday, anything of that type of nature, Mm -hmm. ring doorbell cameras, those type of things, or, you know, we're out in an area where there's game cameras. So we're checking those. Um, unfortunately, we didn't have any luck on the side streets that we were on back there where they dumped the vehicle. Mm-hmm. But once we got out to the main road that he thought they would have come up, we split up there. Some of us went north and some of us went south, and we're looking for cameras on this major road. We end up at a store uh, off of Lewisburg Pike. And so I was view, uh, reviewing the you know, video surveillance footage looking for an orange vehicle. Um, and at that point, we thought we were looking for, you know, an orange vehicle and um, and a second vehicle. We eventually found um, found the vehicle, but it was headed, what was it, Scotty, westbound? In the north. opposite direction of northbound it was in the opposite north. direction. Um, and without a second vehicle, which then, you know, led us to believe that, they purchased the vehicle somewhere north of that store, which was different than what we originally thought. So while she's gathering this, we're getting all this video and looking at it. We just start, I just start talking to the different patrons coming into the store, you know, part of the canvas, Hey, do you guys know anywhere around here? You can get a vehicle, buy a truck, mm-hmm. anything. So it, it, it was so funny because the store owner told us he thought there was a place just north of us that sold trucks out of their front yard and the very first person I started with that day uh, on the canvas, the very first house I went to, he came in the store and I went out and spoke with him. And I said, hey, is do you what about in this area? Is there any area around here where you can buy a truck? And he said, you know, up here about a mile and a half on the left, there's a guy that sells vehicles out of their front yard. He said, I check them every time because I'm interested in trucks. He said, you know, one of them is missing. I'm like, really? So that's when we called the rest of the team and said, hey, get north, look for this house. There should be other trucks in the front yard. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So those guys, they they head up that way. 
Um, of course, cell phones don't work up there, so they go up there. They were super excited. They came back to me in the car because they couldn't call me. I had no, no cell phones. They said, hey, we got it. Um, it was like, we got it? Yeah. So we finish up there uh, looking at the video. We head up there. Uh, we start interviewing the guy that, that, that is presently there. Right. He's not the guy that sold the vehicle. It was him and his partner. They had this uh, operation going where they're selling these trucks out of their front yard. The best way to describe it is this is not like a, a business you're going to find online. You kind of got to know about it. There's no real paperwork to any of these vehicles mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. anything of that nature. Uh, the guy that sold the vehicle, he was on vacation. So we contacted him by phone, and he's he starts telling us about the sale of this truck on that Friday. And he says, you know, that guy was a tall guy. And I'm like, really? Uh-huh. He's like, yeah. He had on this camouflage shirt. There was a female in an orange vehicle. Um, I sold him the truck for $6,000. He said what stood out to me is he didn't want to test drive it. He didn't want nothing. He just wanted that vehicle. So I gave him the keys, and he gave me the 6000 He requested that I give him a tag. He said I completely explained to him that I can give you a tag, but as soon as you drive off, the tag is no good. So this guy, they work on vehicles, so they got multitude of tags sitting there. Right. So he just grabbed a random tag and handed it to this guy. So now we got that issue. So the work started to try and identify. And when you say tag, you mean license plate? License plate okay. for Tennessee. Well, yeah, and he also didn't remember which one it was. Right. It's, yes. His documentation was not exactly meticulous, so now <laughs> we're, we have a, a license plate that doesn't match the vehicle that's unknown now at this point. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> another another needle. Right. Yeah. Right. So we're like, can't okay, can't be this as easy as you can't have nothing, <laughs> right? So we're uh, we're constantly talking to these guys, and, and they're super helpful, and they're doing everything they can to help us. And we eventually were able to figure it out. Now I'll have to throw it over to Doc because she could have got us there quicker, but she showed him a technique that would have possibly gotten us there a little quicker, but we weren't smart enough to figure it out. I don't know how sophisticated this technique is. <laughs> I mean, I think most just, people Just say I, please. No. Most, most people with an iPhone would, would know. There, were, there was some editing done to a photo that was blocking. They blocked out the license plate for, and, and um, so I had just mentioned, well, you can just click that little button that says revert to original and it will remove any editing and it remove the you know the black mark off of the license plate so we'll be able to see what the license plate said and that worked like a charm nice yep wow four hours later (laughs) so now we've got this new truck we've got a van right right the tag what kind of truck was it it was a blue f-150 2006 2006 blue f-150 2006 with exhaust on it with a yeah loud exhaust they said there was a hole in the muffler very loud so we're feeling confident now we've got this truck uh we ask these people to keep it you know between us you know we're, we're still working this case and we definitely didn't want the media to get a hold of this truck mm-hmm. so we start running this vehicle through different databases we're working up a plan to come back and saturate the area and check this area for this truck mm-hmm. on the following day so mm-hmm. uh, we get back and we're still waiting on back to alabama back to alabama we're uh-huh. headed back we're going and we're working out of the hotel on this day on this sunday we got information that evansville police department in indiana ran this vin through their system on May 4th, uh, which would have been several days prior. So we were really interested in that. We had nothing indicating they were in Indiana, had nothing leading us to believe they were there, no known associates, anything of that nature. Mm. So we're feeling pretty confident. So we reach out and contact Evansville Police Department. They inform us that they were answering a call about an abandoned vehicle at the Weinbach car wash up there they respond up there they run the vin the vin doesn't come back stolen because it's not stolen that he purchased the vehicle right. but it was just abandoned there and so they left it and informed the car wash manager that they needed to contact uh if they wanted it moved they it was on them they had to call a tow truck company 
to have it moved. So that's where we kind of left it there. Yeah. So what this is doing is it's shrinking our time, our timeline down. So now we're, we're that much closer to a known location of these individuals. So once we, once we had established through Evansville, Indiana's uh, records where that car was run, uh, we, along with contact in our task force partners in great lakes, we also contacted the car wash owner to, to see what he knew about the vehicle or manager to see what he knew about the vehicle. Um, if he had seen anybody, it took us a while to get him on the phone. We finally got him on the phone. Uh, we got the information that we uh, wanted for him and we asked him uh, in no uncertain terms to not, please do not release this. Mm-hmm. Keep this close to the vest. Mm-hmm. Somebody will be with you very, very soon to discuss this with you in person. Right. We didn't know exactly what we had. We knew the vehicle obviously was important to us. Right. Um, again, we wanted the information to, to make a logical you know, assessment of what we needed to do. And so with that, we, we've, we finished formulating our plan for uh, the next day and uh, concluded that evening. This brings us to D-Day, day 11 of an 11-day manhunt, Monday, May 9th. We're traveling up to Evansville, Indiana. Our honest belief at this moment, we're still behind them. Mm-hmm. And we're thinking that they're definitely not in Evansville. This vehicle was dumped on May 3rd. Right. So we're still, I know we're going to get them, but it's just going to take a lot of legwork. Right. we got to be really careful because we know the truck's dumped now. We're trying to prevent the media from hearing of the truck because we know that's going to lead them. Whatever vehicle they're in now, they're going to dump it. Right. So we're traveling up there. As we are, there's other leads coming in in Indiana. That morning, um, I had actually filled it a tip. It had, it had come in, and it was in the Richmond, Indiana area, which I thought significant, obviously, because the vehicle had been left um, in Evansville. Right. And so, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, they could have dumped it there, acquired a new vehicle. Now they've moved on to Richmond, and we're going to start Is Richmond far from Evansville? It's about four hours, okay. I believe. Had our Great Lakes partners up there. We're working on the Richmond area. Um, found the individuals who had submitted the tip, and essentially the tip had said that they were in a uh, park. Uh, the, the, pe- the family that called the tip in were in a park. They were gathering flowers, just having a good family day, and they encountered who they believed to be Vicki White, on a trail um they described her um her waddle as we as we right. had, had come so uh, well to know described her as kind of being nervous but a different hair color but they they described her hair color as like maybe a bad dye job essentially is how they described it right so they're having this conversation and then as it's described to me a, a very tall male comes essentially out of nowhere and essentially cuts her off and so he starts talking and the family's is kind of intimidated by him. And as the conversation drags on, he actually steps in front of this female who they believe to be Vicky and kind of cuts her off from view from the family. Hmm. Um, and okay. so, you know, that, that made sense to us, right. Saying, Hey, I don't want you staring at her anymore. Um, and at one point, uh, I, I believe the wife of the tipster had gotten her phone out to answer a text message. And it, and he said that made the, the male tipster uh, stated that that made the very tall male, very, very, very nervous. So, and that's when he essentially ended the conversation and they just kind of disappeared off into the woods. So, you know, of course we were asking, you know, some of those typical questions that they looked to shovel with the clothing. Right, Did right, you notice right, any right, vehicles yeah. that were not in the area? And he described a vehicle that he had never seen there before. And I said, well, how would you, how would you know that that vehicle is never there? And he goes, listen, I'm from Richmond, lived here all my life and my house is right across the street from the park. There's a, there's a car park there that I've never seen before. Right. And so it made sense and had a, and, and I said, would well, you remember the tag number, any of that thing that could be identifying to the, to the vehicle? And he said it had a drive off tag on it. So something that maybe come off a dealership. Right. So again, that made sense to us. So right, that was a right. very, very legitimate tip mm-hmm. for us. So, you know, kind of simultaneous to getting our resources to Evansville, we're now diverting resources to Richmond right. to, to follow up on this. Right. We're continuing on up to Evansville. We're going up there with intent of we're looking for a new vehicle. Right. You know, we're going to have to do a same canvas we did earlier, try to develop a new uh, vehicle. We believe they've already fled Evansville at this moment. Mm-hmm. We arrive at the car wash uh, location there, the Weinbach car wash. And as we pull up, we notice the media is already there. So we That's were, a surprise. Yeah, big surprise. Uh, so we asked the manager, said, hey, do you know how these guys got there? He said, yeah, I called them. So we learned what he was, you know, after a little bit of fame on this moment. Mm-hmm. So we get all the video footage that we can, and we're not 
viewing it yet. We're trying to get out of the area because the media is in that area. Mm-hmm. We want to go search this truck. So we're getting a search warrant on this truck as well. And we execute that search warrant. There was a few things left in there, nothing of value. Something else we learned there at the car wash owner, like I said, was very helpful. He talked about him leaving the window down and the keys in the ignition. Casey was wanting that vehicle to get stolen. That's what his hope was. Mm. Unfortunately for him, it didn't happen, which gave us a leg up and, Mm -hmm. you know, put us on the trail. So we start reviewing the video footage. And the first thing we notice in the footage, when Casey dumps that truck and he starts to walk out, you know, this whole time we're thinking woods, we're thinking, um, you know, they're they're staying with associates out in the w- middle of nowhere. They're not going to be clean, you know, mm-hmm, those type mm-hmm. of things. The very obvious thing about Casey in that video was how clean he was. So right then we were like, he's in a motel somewhere. Right, he's either right. They got an apartment somewhere, most likely in the motel. So that's when the great lakes guys they start fanning out checking hotels for this vehicle Mm -hmm. and we're in the process still reviewing the video we're looking at this cadillac and we can see uh we knew it was a 2005 to 2012 based on the placement of where the tag was in the back the rear of that vehicle Right, right the tag was unreadable we knew it was most likely an indiana tag based off the colors on it at this moment, at the Motel 41, one of the locals had already found this Cadillac parked there. We asked them just to sit on it. We didn't know what we had yet. We didn't have a tag. Local law enforcement. That. Right. So so the tag is confirmed at the hotel. So we all were super excited. We all get in our vehicles, and turned out this hotel was right behind the sheriff's office. So we all go sit over there, and we're trying to formulate a game plan. Right. We're like, okay, we're here. Let's go talk to management. So those guys did a phenomenal job that were assisting us up there, the Great Lakes, Vandenberg. They they actually went in. They got the list of the people that had rented the rooms. Our main concern was 150 and 151. That's where the Cadillac was parked. And uh, to of notice to us, also, we reconfirmed the tag because now the Cadillac's got tinted windows, which is not abnormal, but we just wanted a, just, you know, we're this close on this case. Mm-hmm. So let's let's make sure we got it right. So we start working on our, our priorities and we start learning what we can about whoever's in this room. So we obtained the list of everybody that had rented rooms in this motel. Uh, the reason we were focused on 150 and 151 was this vehicle was parked directly in front of 150. Mm-hmm. Most of these hotels where the windows are facing outside, you can tell if a room's occupied or not just based off the blinds. If the right. blinds are closed, normally there's people in there. Right. So we still couldn't discount all the rest of the rooms. That's why we wanted to obtain this list and go through it, which narrowed it down. 150 and 151 was still our concerns. Mm -hmm, There mm. shouldn't have been anybody else in that vicinity that had occupied it. So what stood out to us was room 150 was rented on May 2nd through May 16th, and it was under another alias we were unaware of. Uh We took this whole list and we forwarded it back to Alabama so they could run this list and see if it came back to any of the jail stuff that Vicky had done. Mm-hmm. We were unsuccessful in that. We still felt pretty confident. It was most likely Vicky and Casey. While we're there and we're observing it, we're still coming up with a game plan, trying to figure out if we got enough for a search warrant for this room. All those things are going on and we're still game planning. This is really quick. This is not like we had hours to do this. Right. This is like, I believe, 320s when we arrive on scene the car pursuit starts about 345 350 that's how quick right. all this is going and we're trying to get all the puzzle pieces together so while we're doing this 151 we couldn't discount it so we saw you know pizza being delivered there once the pizza delivery left we interviewed them definitely was not related to our case so mm-hmm. Vicky and Casey most likely we're going to be in room 150 and we've got evidence that Casey got in that vehicle at the car wash. Uh, We saw him most likely he was in the passenger side and Vicky was driving. So we got this vehicle at this car. It was, you know, rented the day before the car, the truck was dumped. So 
we're building our evidence, trying to come up with search warrant. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about it. We're game planning with these guys up there. We're getting the Bearcat rolled out to us. We're getting the gas plan ready. We're doing all these kind of things and trying to get ready for what's going to happen. And while we're doing all these things, we realize we're sitting too close to the hotel because based off the media coverage before mm -hmm. we're out there literally in this parking lot and people start videoing us. So we're like, uh Oh, we better get out of here. Right. So we kind of go hide down right. the road right. a little ways. So we're still game planning coming up with what we're going to do. And at that moment, the, one of the local guys there from when I say local, one of the guys from great lakes was mm -hmm. had the eyeball on the hotel. Wasn't mm -hmm. a lot of places you could sit uh, and watch this place. So he spots, a female come out and he described it as a bad hair dye job on, on the hair. He can't tell if it's Vicky or not. Um, she's walking with a significant waddle. He wasn't aware of the waddle. So I asked him over the radio. I'm like, can you tell me how she's walking? Does she have a waddle? He said, hundred percent. She's got a waddle. I'm like, okay. Short time later, a large gentleman comes out of the hotel on crutches. So, that's what Casey was using to cover the height, the mm -hmm. six knot. He's mm -hmm. bent over. He's hunched over. He's pretty confident that it's Casey and Vicky, but he can't be 100%. Right. So they come out. They get in the vehicle. He gets in the driver's side. We're still we're a good distance away now. The, the debate is, do we take them there? Do we wait? So I start calling for them. I'm like, hey, he's a runner. He's going to make a big show out of this. Get patrol units in route. Start because there's only like five or six, seven of us, I believe, mm -hmm, that were mm -hmm. out there at this moment. We're waiting all these pieces to come in. Of right. course, it all happens. You know, Murphy, it's going to show up. So he comes out of the hotel and gets in the car, and they they take off. We were expecting them to go one way, and they went the completely opposite down to where we were staged at. So, we so they made, were coming towards you. They were coming right towards us. So mm -hmm. we weren't in place. There wasn't enough of us. I think there was three of us down there. So I told everybody, hey, just scatter. Once we get patrol in the area, we'll go ahead and light them up, and we're going to have to do what we got to do because they're probably getting out of town. So it just so happened, the way it worked out, he, you know, I understand from his interview afterwards, he saw me, you know, pull out. He knew something was up. Uh, they ended up coming up right behind me. And I could see Vicky was obviously I ID'd her and I identified Casey. Vicky was super nervous, looking around. Casey seemed cool and calm. He'd been there before, you know that right. type of thing. Right. They're starting to see patrol units get in the area. Um, they're they're actually right behind me, waiting for everybody to get there. We weren't in the right spot, and right. traffic was horrendous, unfortunately, uh -huh. at this moment in time. So Casey finally makes his move. He bolts out to the left, goes around us, uh, goes around the whole line of traffic. We pull out to go light him up, and that's where the chase starts at that moment. Mm -hmm. So we're getting in this pursuit, and we're, we're chasing them. They're trying stop sticks a couple of, you know, I'm hearing all this over our radio, the Marshall's right. radio, and then they have their own radio with the locals. And everybody's coming, and we're all headed that way. We continue to chase. We can tell Vicky's looking around, you know, that type of those things are going on. Uh, she seemed appeared real nervous and they get in that anchor industries parking lot. It wasn't a parking lot. It was a grass field. They had to cross to get to the parking lot. Mm -hmm. They go around on the north end of the business, uh, go through the parking lot. Um, we're still concerned about all the issues we talked about, the hostage situation, all those type of things. Mm -hmm. They get out in that grass field, which was a perfect opportunity for us. They're they're going along, and, you know, remember we have all this about the the hostage and you right, know, suicide right. by cop, all right. these type of things. So And, mul and multiple firearms. Multiple firearms, right. So as soon as they get out in that field and they realize that ditch is there, it's too late. Our guys are on him, and we start – making contact with him and we're pushing that vehicle trying to get him in a position of disadvantage the best we can and that's where you see the vehicles end up he ends up on his side uh, me in particular i run around the so the car goes down into a ditch into a ditch on its side on the passenger side which vicky was on the passenger side casey was on the driver he was mm -hmm. the driver mm -hmm. uh, on that day so 
they end up in the ditch. You know, it's loud. Sirens are going, all that type of things. Everybody asked if we heard around. I did not hear around um, go off, you know, uh, with all the commotion and everything. Don't know that I would. But I ran around, and right as I get around the left side, that's when Casey pops his head out the driver's side with his hands out. And, hey, help my wife. She just shot herself. All those things are starting to happen. Right. So I grab his arm, and other people grab him. We pull him out, get him in custody. Uh, I we take him over toward the car. I go back, and at the you know the concern is Vicky's got the gun in her hand, and she's laid down in there. So they had to get the gun out, and then somebody jumped down there, and we got her out and started the first aid process mm-hmm, at mm-hmm. that moment. Of course, EMS was there super quick. A lot of agencies were there. It was kind of a hectic scene. Uh, just based off of all the attention we had gotten. So that's that's where it all ended up. Um, you know, I, we can say based off the interview afterwards that they definitely were watching the news. They knew we were in Evansville, and their plan was to get rid of that car and get out of Evansville. Mm-hmm. That's what they were doing. They were not going back to that hotel. So that's why we try to do the things we do and we ask if we ask you not to release information we'd appreciate it right because we might have could have done something a little bit different and gassed them out real quick and who knows uh outcome might have been different but unfortunately they put us in the scenario where we mm-hmm. had to get in a car chase in the middle of town had she planned to kill herself if surrounded by law enforcement so it was our understanding um, based off of everything we had seen and all the behaviors we seen of her cutting ties off with family. We're thinking suicide the whole way, but we got this added factor of she's escaping with an inmate. So is it suicide or is it just cutting off ties to do something deviant? Right. We don't know. Right. So the interviews with the inmates, yes. The plan we always heard from multiple people was Casey was going to take Vicky hostage she was wanting to contact Sheriff Rick Singleton for what purpose, we don't know. And we'll never know that answer, right. unfortunately. Um, but after a while, she wanted Casey to shoot her, and then she wanted Casey to shoot it out with the police. That was the way it was always supposed to end. Mm-hmm. That's what we had heard. That ain't the way it went down. Pretty positive, you know, based off of everything we looked at, that she took her own life. The gun was in her hand. The way everything positioned, it would have been really hard for Casey mm-hmm. to to kill her. Um, right. And he had no firearms. He had gonna... a firearm on the chase. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, he had one under his leg. She, she was asking for a firearm. He told her there was one in the glove box. Um, they both were armed. Vicky, we could, you know, it was mentioned by other people, not myself, that mm-hmm. saw her with the firearm in her hand. Um, but my understanding after the interview, he had the one under his leg. When we hit him, I think the weapon possibly got thrown out from under his leg because right. we put him in a bad spot, and he didn't want to be in a shootout that close. So it, it completely changed the plan by putting him in that ditch. Right. Unfortunately, it didn't change Vicky's plan. Right. You know, We would have loved to have talked to her and see what was going on, why it got to this point. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we weren't given that option. So that's we did the best we could. We hate that it happened. Her family's amazing. I uh, wish it could have ended different, but she made that choice, and we all had to live with that, you know, what, whatever decision they make. Unfortunately, we don't get to choose. They get to choose. Right. Our concern when we're planning these things out, especially when we have these known elements of these people that we're trying to take in custody is the concern for public safety, um, officer safety, you know, and the safety to the suspects, that, that, that plays a factor in there as well. As well, You know, we try to make the best decisions that we can to, you know, not put anybody in undue harm. Right. Like like Scotty right. said, though, we don't get to dictate that a right. lot of times. So um, they chose to do what they did, and we had to respond appropriately, although not a common use tactic to make an arrest in this situation. It was entirely appropriate, mm-hmm. um, given the likelihood that we would end up in a, in a shooting in a, in a public setting. Um, putting others at harm, putting the public at harm, ourselves in, in, at harm. Um, yeah, and like Scotty says, it's unfortunate the way that it ended, but, you know, it just, it's just the way that, that it – choice. Yeah, no choice. No right. choice. So I would like to mention the media really did help us out. They kept Casey and Vicki White from being able to move freely. It really kept them in that hotel, what we call it, it kept them pinned down. So the tips coming in greatly helped. We really appreciate the tips that came in. 
I would like people to know that we did pay somebody on this case. The person did not want to be named, didn't want any recognition. They appreciated helping law enforcement, and we paid that, that individual. So the sad part about all this, Vicki White gives up everything to go on the run with Casey White, whom she loves. She's given up essentially her life for this man who loves Vicki White. He proclaims his love to her. And 963 phone calls would seem to indicate that that was true. Yes, but we learned that while they were on the run together, we learned that Casey White was making contact with, I guess what you would call a lonely male type of sex type of chat line, those type of things. He's doing that while he's on the run with Vicky. So this is the first time he's been with Vicky alone and they could be doing anything and he's already on the phone with other women. Correct. Our understanding, even after he goes to prison about a week later after Vicky has passed and he's already got a new girlfriend and found love somewhere else. Mm-hmm. He has moved on rarely quick, fairly quickly. A tragic ending to be sure, but an outstanding job done by the Gulf Coast Regional Fugitive Task Force. Ross, Scotty, John, Doc, thank you very much for sharing your experiences, your thoughts, and really taking us inside an incredible manhunt. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And please show your appreciation to these folks. And I say folks because, well, I'm in Alabama by subscribing and leaving a review. It would be much appreciated. And finally, Chasing Evil is produced with the cooperation of the United States Marshals Service and contains interviews with current and retired employees as well as other persons. Opinions, positions, and views expressed by any of them may not reflect the official views, positions, or policies of the United States Marshals Service. Be safe, everyone. (laughs) 